coming up next on the Holistic Wealth Podcast. And when I hear somebody who I look up to admit something about themselves that we might be surprised at or, or and some people might shame them for, I feel like, oh, I love them that much more. And really, I, I find them so relatable. Relatability is where it's at, you know, you to share things about yourself that other people can relate to, um, which is not your perfection. Uh, perfection doesn't create connection. You're listening to the Holistic Wealth Podcast with host Keisha Blair, author of Holistic Wealth and founder of the Institute on Holistic Wealth. And now here's your host, Keisha Blair. Today we have a special guest with us. We have Laura Belgrade. And Laura is the founder of Talking Shrimp. She is the co-creator of The Copy Cure with Marie Forleo. And she's the author of a brand new book coming out soon that we'll get into into this episode, which is amazing. She's an award-winning copywriting expert. She helps entrepreneurs find the perfect words to express and sell what they do in a way that gets them paid to be themselves. Laura, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much, Keisha. I'm so happy to be here. So I just wanted to get into your story just a bit for you to tell the audience how you came about writing the book and the topics that you write about, how you help entrepreneurs and kind of what makes Laura unique. I'm known for copywriting. I've been in the copywriting space for a long time and I and I help people, you know, write their copy and find the words to express and make their business a total expression of their personality at, and essentially get paid to be themselves. Because that to me is the holy grail of work um, is getting paid to be you. And along those lines, I wrote the book, not the book that I'm supposed to write in my space, in my field, in this online business world. and. Yeah, I'm expected to write a copywriting book, a marketing book, maybe a self-help book, some sort of prescriptive how-to advice book with like bullets, bullet points at the end of each chapter, sidebars, your next steps, that kind of thing. And I did not want to write that kind of book. What I wanted to write was mm -hmm. a book of my stories. And really, it's, it's storytelling that has fueled my business and been the mainstay of how I make money. I tell stories in my emails and my copy and um, use them to sell, to make money. And so in a way it ties into what I do for a living, but in a way it does not at all. These are stories from growing up, being a late bloomer, always right. feeling behind, being a dork in New York, uh, trying to fit in, but also refusing to do the things that make me, that allow me to fit in. And um, screwing up and getting into all kinds of ill-advised relationships with boys and then with men and eventually finding my way, the, I would say the windy path to success, the late bloomer path to success. This book was, I was warned it wouldn't be easy to sell. I was warned it would not be easy to get a book deal with a book of personal essays, a memoir. Yeah. Um, celebrities are allowed to do that. You right. know, Matthew Perry can right. write a, <laughs> a book of stories and Laura Belgray can't necessarily not in that in that market. But I was determined to do it and write it for write a book that my audience would love and yet 
without giving them the thing they're usually given, which is that book of straight advice. The title, Tough Titties, I came up with just because it was something I found myself saying. Like, I I had no idea what I was going to name it or what the book was for the longest time. Like, what are these stories? How do they all fit together? What's the theme here? And then one day I found myself saying something that I say all the time, which is Tough Titties. And I think it was in response to someone saying like, so-and-so wants you to be this or so-and-so wants you to do this thing. And I was like, yeah, well, tough titties. And I realized, okay, that's the theme of my book. It is about saying sorry, not sorry to the supposed to's in life. And that's pretty much been my pattern throughout all of it. So writing this book, I mean, my main motivation was just to, was to tell these stories that I love telling. And experience the joy of writing them down and sharing them. But as I wrote it, it's true what everyone says. You do have to know who this book is for and why you're writing it for them and what you want them to get out of it. And so over time, I realized, okay, I want people, I'm writing this for anyone who feels behind in their life or career um, or anyone who feels like they don't fit Uh, and can't comply with the supposed to's in life and who don't necessarily want everyone else's definition of success or don't want to do what it takes to get there. Like want to achieve something, want success, but don't like all the things everyone's saying they have to do to get it. Yeah. So that's who the book is for and what it's about. I read through several of your articles, one on Business Insider, I think that said Mm. that you didn't make your first million until you were 50 and you were emphasizing some of the things you were saying just now, but I just wanted you to walk us through just to emphasize to readers or just to explain to them in terms of your story and why you think that was a very, very good thing, you know, given all that we see on social media about hitting a million Mm -hmm. at 20 and and being an influencer in your early twenties, you know, doing selling lip gloss, as you said, or various things. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Well, the book starts the same way that that article you read starts, which is with the the time that my husband and I had dinner with my husband's good friend and his new girlfriend who showed up a little late to dinner. She came, um, she was like a 20 something Condé Nast worker and showed up with her you know, her giant work bag with the sneakers sticking out of it. And she came straight from her spin class with her shower, fresh hair, and she's twisting it into a bun as she sits down and says, you know, someone asked her, how's her day? And she's just like, oh, you know, it's like every time I walk into work, I get promoted. Um, Like all I do is move up and up and up in a couple of years. I'm probably going to be publisher. This is said in sort of a complaint. I was like, oh, boohoo. And I remember thinking, and I was, I was rounding 40 at the time. And I was like, I have never in my life moved up and up and up. I've never felt that way. I've never been suited for the corporate path. Uh, I lasted, I lasted all of six months in the one nine to five that I ever had. Even when it was a 10 to six, um, I couldn't make it to work on time. And so even though I also didn't feel suited for having a business, because I didn't feel like I'm I'm not a leader type. I never felt like a leader or like I wanted to lead a team of people. That was never something I wanted. And I didn't feel like I had initiative or um, that I liked to sell. That wasn't, that didn't occur to me that I could be good at selling until way later. Um, I finally found my career path 
like after doing something that was a dream job for a long time, which was writing promos for TV, I got into writing for private clients in the online space and then later creating courses and helping them write their own copy and and using my voice like with, through emails and blog posts and social posts, using my own voice to sell what I did. And I am glad that I, you know, back to the question that you asked, why is it a good thing that it took me so long? Like I didn't find my career groove really. Um, that thing that I was always looking for, like being able to tap my talent in a way that made me money till my late forties. And yes, then at 50, I hit the $1 million mark in my business. And I was glad that it took me so long in a way, even though I always feel impatient with myself and like, why don't I move as fast as all these other people selling, you know, making their multi-millions by selling lip gloss or pouting at the camera or wearing a cute hat and giving some advice in a caption, you know, I felt like, you know what, I'm glad that I don't have to look back at myself in my 20s or my 30s and say, you know what, that was the best I'll ever be. Like I had really hit my stride then. What happened? Right. Or it's like, I, I never want to feel like I peaked when I was younger. Um, and it's nice that I feel like I have yet to find, but I still, I still feel like a work in progress. I still feel like I have yet to reach that height and maybe I never will. And maybe that's a good thing. And also, you know, hitting the, like finding this success later in life, it's more satisfying. It's something that you've waited for, not something that just hits you suddenly and you don't know what to do with. And I know myself better than I would have in, or than I did for sure um, in those earlier years at earlier ages. So I am for being a late bloomer and very encouraged by other people who start things or accomplish things at a later age, especially if they're older than me. And so much of your writing, Laura, like I see myself and I know that other women too, in terms of how you communicate your style and, and your values and, and what you like. For instance, in another piece, you mentioned that you've embraced laziness and this, this hustle culture that, you know, has us thinking that we need to be on 24 seven and doing a million things isn't necessarily what we're feeling necessarily right now. I know a lot of women are not there. And so what I really love was this embracing, you know, as you said, of things that might be considered flaws, mm -hmm. but we can use them to our strengths to really relate to other people. And so can you tell us, like if people are listening and they're wondering, how do I do that in terms of, you know, who I am as an yeah. individual? How can I use that to my strength? Like, how can I communicate who I am in terms of my brand and what I stand for? I am a big fan of what I call being blossom. Other people might call it vulnerability, but I feel like that word is so overused um, that I, I find it to be mostly vulnerability or what I call vulnerable shit making false claims about how they feel about themselves. Like, oh, I'm feeling really less than about hitting the, you know, um, having a seven figure launch. I don't feel worthy. And that's real. I feel really vulnerable. I'm like, shut up. No, you don't. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to truly embracing and flaunting our flaws, I, I like to call it flossom because it's not just, not just being okay with them and accepting them, but also showing them, being willing to share them because I think that's a gift to other people. It gives them permission to 
be more themselves and um, not hide parts of themselves that they think other people will not take seriously, et cetera. And it gives them the gift of relief. Like, oh, good, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one who's like this. And when I hear somebody who I look up to admit something about themselves that we might be surprised at or, or, and some people might shame them for, I feel like, oh, I love them that much more. And really, I, I find them so relatable. Relatability is where it's at. You know, you just share things about yourself that other people can relate to, which is not your perfection. Uh, perfection doesn't create connection, I like to say. It's your imperfections. So admitting that you are a late person or hate deadlines or um, don't really like going to parties or like anything about yourself that you might want to hide or that you're a terrible procrastinator. I mean, these are things about myself that I'm admitting. I feel like people gravitate towards you and love you even more for it. And it, to me, relatability is an important, important part of being a brand, a personal brand and putting yourself out there and helping people. As you're talking, I'm thinking about the power of vulnerability and how that can help, you know, in terms of being relatable, as you just mentioned, and for people to kind of, you know, see themselves in our own stories, even though our stories are unique and different. And so, Laura, like I know you mentioned your copywriting courses and your success with that. You also mentioned, I think, in one of those articles, you mentioned having mini courses and having lazy launches. And so if mm -hmm. there are entrepreneurs listening in, because there's always this pressure to go big or go home, right? Especially as an entrepreneur and to launch products or launch things in such a big way that you're getting tons of attention and, you know, and, and it's often associated with like more revenue, more income. What can you say from your experience with launching your courses, having, let's say, mini courses or lazy launches, as I've heard you mention, and in terms of lessons for entrepreneur, in terms of your success, doing it your way, doing it authentically. What are some of those that you can share? Because as I said, like, I know you've had different types of, you've, you've expanded your courses and Mm -hmm. You know what works. So can you share some of that with us in terms of how you've experienced running your business that way? So when I talk about a lazy launch, for me, what it means for me might look like a lot of work to somebody. And it is a lot of work still mm -hmm. um, to do what I call a lazy launch. But it's the kind of work that I like to do and not the kind of work that I don't like to do. So for me, that means doing it all through emails, writing email. I, I write a lot of emails when I'm launching something, but I enjoy writing emails. I'm comfortable with it. And everyone says like, oh, all the magic happens outside your comfort zone. But I create a lot of magic inside my comfort zone. Thank you. And I really like to stay within it. And so it means writing emails, but it means not for me doing webinars, doing a live challenge where, you know, somebody walked me through how to do a live, you know, a five-day challenge. And they said it made them millions of dollars every time they did it. And I was like, millions of dollars sounds great. Tell me about it. We do this, this, and this. I pop on live, um, unscripted, do, you know, these lives, you know, once a day and it's not a scripted webinar. And then, you know, I have all these coaches DMing people and like I hire like five coaches and they're answering questions. And like all of that sounded to me, especially the coaches part and the DMs. I was like, I don't want to do any of that. And it's so much work and I know I'm going to be burned out. And 
I don't know, is it worth millions of dollars? I would like the millions of dollars, but I felt like burnout to me is not worth anything. Like, especially having a business based on what I consider burnout for somebody else that might enliven them. They might feel great about that process. So to me, what you are willing to do and what you enjoy doing should be the basis of how you make your living. And like, there are going to be some things that you've got to do that you don't really love to do, but I try to keep those to a minimum and um, work with what I like to do because that's going to keep me, (laughs) that's going to keep me alive. It's going to keep me loving what I, what I do and not make it feel relentless and like, oh, I just have to hit this number and then I can be done. And then I can fold it all up and go away. Because first of all, I'm probably never going to hit that number. And second, I don't want to hate what I do. I don't want to fold it up and go away. I want to feel like what I was talking about earlier, like what I do is something I could do for the rest of my life. And it doesn't feel like work. And sometimes it is going to feel like work. There are, again, there are things that you got just got to do what you got to do. Um, because it's business and you can't, you can't outsource everything that you don't like. There's some things you just have to do, but especially if you don't want to run a team of people, Mm -hmm. but I feel like feeling good about what you do, feeling good about the work you do and loving to do it and feeling like it is an expression of your personality is so key for enjoying your career. Absolutely. And that's so in line with the whole holistic wealth philosophy and you know, living holistically wealthy so that, you know, that you're not getting burnt out doing Mm -hmm. what you want to do. And then you have to end up not doing it, which, you know, the purpose. But Laura, you mentioned not wanting per se run a team. And I completely relate, completely relate to everything that I feel the same way. How do you then structure your business without, let's say the big team and the support? Yeah, I keep it lean and simple. I have one main person. Um, she is not on payroll. She's a, an independent contractor. Her name is Sandra and she's my business manager. And I've worked with her now for about five years. Um, and for a long time, I was resistant to hiring anybody. I just didn't want to hire. I didn't know what I would have them do. Um, I didn't know what I would outsource, but I, I didn't have a course-based business at the time. I was just doing like all I had was private clients and I used Acuity to schedule them. And I was like, I don't know, what would I have a virtual assistant do? And uh, it allowed me to create so much more once I hired her. And I did have the help of a designer developer who I consider my digital consigliere, which is uh, her name is Michelle Martello of Minima Designs. And she's fantastic. And so I think when I started working with her, I realized, okay, working with somebody can allows me to create so much more. Like she gave me assets and knowledge, know-how. She'd teach me how to make my own like quote cards for Instagram and Photoshop and that kind of thing. So both of them are independent contractors and Sandra now handles way more. And she has someone on her team dedicated to my business too. So in a sense, I have a, I have a team. But again, they're not on payroll. I'm not responsible for keeping, you know, their lights on. And it's really just them on a day-to-day basis. And like Sandra, any kind of admin or anything that I don't want to deal with or shouldn't be spending my time on, um, I send over to her or she just takes care of. She's It's in her protocols, in her systems. Um, she'll 
you know, she and her person go through my inbox and answer anything that I didn't answer the day before that I left unanswered and set up appointments for me, book the podcast, do all kinds of things like that, help run my calls. So I have a mastermind group called Shrimp Club. And there's when we do hot seat calls, there's always somebody, one of them who's on the call and making sure they I know when we're at time for a hot seat, like when we approach the 10 minute mark, they'll say one minute left and et cetera. So there's a lot that they do for me and with me on a day to day basis. But it's again, it's just them. And I have friends in the space who, yeah, they are making, you know, 10 million, 20 minutes, a million. They have eight figure businesses. They have a team of 10 people or 20 people. And I just, it's something I've just never wanted. And they have a team meeting every day at 1 PM. And I'm like, I don't want any of that. I just, I just don't, especially when the pandemic hit. Yeah. And they were, anyone I knew with the team was like, wow, do I have to let people go? How am I going to keep the lights on? How am I going to keep paying them all? Right. So that was, a, that's a burden that I just don't want, even if it would allow me to do less. I don't know if it would really allow me to do less. I think, you know, there's power in knowing and being self-aware about what your limits are and, and how high of an income is good for you, mm-hmm. you know, to be comfortable and not taking on anymore because there's this pressure to be like, an eight figure entrepreneur, you mm-hmm. know, or these titles that um, we see. So I'm, I'm so happy that you actually expressed that. Cause I think that's important for women to, to be self-aware and to know. And so Laura, as we're wrapping up, just wanted to get from you where listeners can get the book can pre-order. Cause I know it's up for pre-order now and where they can get, you know, like their pre-order bonuses and all of that. So if you can tell us all of that, that would be amazing. Yeah, sure. Please come over to toughtittiesbook.com. Toughtittiesbook.com. And you'll see all the booksellers there, all the, you know, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, indie books, um, so that you can, if you want to find an indie bookstore near you, your favorite one, you can pre-order through them. There are bonuses on offer over at my page. So you're only going to get them if you fill in the form on my page. And I would love you to. Um, If you get one copy, you will get the intro chapter immediately in your inbox and immediate download again for if you fill out the form. And if you get two copies, you will get probably other bonuses as well. But right now, immediately, you will get the not just the intro chapter, but a replay of this call that I did. It was a behind the scenes, or I call it the behind the titties call all about my book process um, from the inception of it, to the writing, to the getting the book deal, and then the torture that came after the book deal, um, the crying, the rocking myself in the fetal position, the rewriting, and then, you know, bringing us to today or near today to starting to market it. And uh, it was a wildly popular call and people have it's worth getting a set of two for it. Plus, tough cities are better as a set of two, right? So, absolutely. So, that's amazing. And I will put those in the show notes for everyone as well, the links there. And so, Laura, thank you so much for joining us. We had a, a great time. And once again, it was amazing having you on the podcast. Oh, it was amazing being on. Thank you so much for a great interview. Love talking to you, Keisha. Absolutely. Me too. Thank you so much, Laura. The Holistic Wealth Podcast with Keisha Blair is brought to you by... 
Have you joined the Institute on Holistic Wealth? If you haven't already, what are you waiting for? Choose your membership plan at the Institute on Holistic Wealth slash memberships to join. As a member, you'll get access to free worksheets, advice, coaching, and an intentional design workshop. As you start to live a more holistically wealthy lifestyle, you'll want to stay for a very long time. So go to Institute on Holistic Wealth slash memberships to join. If you haven't read the book yet, pick up a copy of the award-winning best-selling Holistic Wealth 36 Life Lessons to help you recover from disruption, find your life purpose, and achieve financial freedom.